If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code, a lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash code assistant. IBM, let's create. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hello and welcome back to Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. I am Movie Mike on Twitter and Instagram at Mike Distro, And a lot has happened in the world of movies since the last episode. I got on here last week and talked about James Bond, which was the first movie that delayed its release. And since then, a bunch of movies have come out either delaying production or delaying when it's going to come out in theater. So I'm going to talk about that. I'm not going to dwell on it the entire episode. I did find a way to kind of make this its own interesting episode, even if you're tired of hearing about the coronavirus, because over the last week, we've kind of been just inundated with it. And I'm not a news podcast. I'm a movie podcast. So I'm going to find a way to tie it into movies to where we can still kind of learn something together and have some fun in here to just kind of distract us a bit. But... It's really big in the news right now, so it's kind of hard to avoid it, especially when the box office hit a 20-year low over the weekend. Like, they made around 55 to $56 million at the box office, and that's every single movie in theaters, which is insane, the lowest it's been in 20 years. And about $50 million is what a, a typical blockbuster movie, when a movie does well at the box office, it makes about $50 million. So you're talking about every single movie in theaters, including new ones that came out. I think movies still came out over the weekend, but all combined made $55 million, which is insane. So I kind of wanted to look at on this episode is just how exactly a movie makes money. So when a movie goes into theaters, all the costs that go into it and what the number that gets reported, like what does that actually mean is what I'm going to be talking about in this episode. And also, I think a lot of us right now are going to be just watching stuff on Netflix and stuff on Hulu. So I'm also going to look at how those movies make money because it's a little bit different in the fact they don't have a theatrical release. So I'll talk about that. I also watched a movie over the weekend with Pete Davidson, which was brand new on Hulu. So I'll give a review on that. And then at the very end, I'll just kind of touch on the coronavirus news of all the movies getting delayed or pushed back because of it. So that's what I'm covering on this episode. A lot to get to. So again, just... Thank you for checking out this episode. Again, I'm going to try to make it fun and talk about movies. So we're kind of thinking about that right now. So if you don't mind hitting that five-star rating, or if you're listening on iHeartRadio or any other podcast app, just hit that subscribe button so you get brand new episodes every single Monday. But without further ado, let's get into this episode of how movies actually make money. Here we go. In a world where everyone and their mother has a podcast. 
one man stands to infiltrate the ears of listeners like never before in a movie podcast. A man with so much movie knowledge, he's basically like a walking IMDb with glasses. From the Nashville Podcast Network, this is Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. All right, so today we're talking about how a movie makes money because you hear it every single week. When a movie does well at the box office, it's like, oh, they made $100 million. This is like the most successful movie of all time. But there are actually a lot of costs that go into it. And sometimes it's a little kind of skewed of how much a movie actually makes and how much because how much spent to put in it isn't always out there entirely. They kind of put production costs out there. But the overall cost of what it is to make a movie is a lot more than studios kind of report. A lot goes into making a movie. So what I did is a bunch of research on what all the numbers mean and how much like a typical movie in the box office would make. So I'm looking at about like a hundred million dollar blockbuster. So you, an average movie probably makes about 50 million, but when a movie does really well, it's about a hundred million dollars at the box office. So I'm going to kind of break it down of what each step takes to get there, which there are a bunch of steps they in costs that are leading up to that, to make it to even to getting it to into theater. So so what we had to look at first and in going into the cost of making a movie is the overall budget. So this has to do with everything from development, which has to do with getting the final script, the pre-production stuff, which is building a team and planning to shoot the actual production, which is shooting the movie. And then the post-production, which is the editing, the visual effects, the sound design and music. So all this goes in to this factoring of how much it costs to make a movie. This also includes like the cast and crew wages and also like the director and the lead actors. This is all factored into just the initial budget. And also what we'll get into later is some of these people will end up making a certain amount based on how well the movie does. So say an actor makes a deal to where like, okay, I'll do this movie for... $20 million, but I also want some of the box office amount in ticket sales. I want that added into my contract. This is also gets factored into this budget or say like a big time director wants to take on a project, but he's only willing to do it for this amount of money. And then this the profits, that is where this also gets factored into and budgets have just been getting bigger and bigger over the years. So what I'm just looking at in this episode, I'll kind of base all the numbers on a typical movie that makes about $100 million at the box office, which is considered like a big, you know, summer blockbuster hit. So something like Jurassic World took $150 million to make is what they reported. But when you actually look at the numbers, they end up spending about about 12% more than they actually report. So if they say it costs $150 million to make, they actually probably spent about $19 million more and they kind of just factor it in other ways and they don't really want to put that number out there that way whenever the box office numbers come out they look higher and it looks like they actually made more of a profit than probably they actually did and then there are a bunch of other costs in making a movie that you don't really think about so all of this just leads into how much it costs to get the movie made so that 150 million dollars that they report which is actually more like 169 is actually a lot more when it comes to all the other costs of making a movie. So now what you get into is the other cost of making a movie. So this is even before a movie is making money yet. So this is all in the hole so far. So you have your movie shot. You have your either your hour and a half, your two hour movie. It's ready to go. But there are a bunch of other costs that are get factored into this. And it's stuff we don't really think about because we just see like, oh, how much did that movie make, take to get made? And then how much did it make at the box office? Like, oh, wow, they made so much money. But there's a bunch of other hidden costs that 
really go into making a movie successful. And this includes marketing, which aside from just how much it makes takes to make a movie, marketing is probably this next biggest thing to factor in because once the movie's made, they got to sell it. They got to make posters. They got to make trailers. They got to send out them uh, the actors to promote the movie. They got to put commercials on TV, on radio. They got to do all this stuff to market the movie. They got to make promotional items, send stuff out to TV networks, to radio stations. They make like weird little stuffed animals to promote the movie. And any way to just build a buzz around the movie and to get people into the theater and excited about this movie. And the weird part about this is that actually, like, the bigger the movie, the less they end up spending on marketing, which you think would be a little bit different because, like, a movie like The Avengers, they're going to spend less money on advertising than, like, a brand new John Cena movie because a John Cena movie maybe doesn't have as much of a draw to audiences to get into the theaters. So the Avengers are kind of good and, like, okay, we can spend a little less, less money on advertising and a, like a John Cena movie, he has a brand new, whatever, action rom-com coming out. They're going to spend a lot more money putting out the word of like, oh, here's this John Cena movie. They want the word to travel and get people into the seats for that opening weekend because the opening weekend is pretty much make or break for like a bunch of new movies, like whether or not they'll get a sequel and whether or not how much they actually make on that first weekend is really what they're going for. So all this marketing costs is just driving people to that opening weekend to get that biggest number possible to put on paper. So again, looking back at that number, say a movie took $150 million to make, the average marketing cost would be about $121 million. So about 81% of the budget is gonna be just straight up marketing the movie and selling the thing. And overall, when you factor everything else in, besides that, it comes out to be about 30% of the average cost of making a movie is just spent on advertising. And then you think, oh, okay, we have the movie made, we have our advertising, we're good to go, right? Nope, there's still more costs need to be factored into how much it costs to make a movie. You have what you call our prints, which are the physical copies of the movies that they send to the movie theaters. So back in the day, they would actually send like the 35 millimeter film. Now it's a hard drive. So essentially, they put the movie on a really big file and they put it on this hard drive and the movie theaters rent out essentially those hard drives to show their movies in their movie theaters. And what they're called is digital cinema prints. They're these DCPs. It's pretty much a big hard drive with a really big file on it. And then it has this other little tiny file that kind of gives all the permissions for the hard drive. So this is why movies really don't get leaked from movie theaters and what they kind of all set out not to do. So they have this little file on the hard drive that tells it essentially when it can even be played, at what time it can be played, and different like permissions on that, even like what kind of projector it's shown on. So, so the movie theaters get this version, and also when it goes out to like TV stations or like satellite, they get a different version of the movie too, but it's all on this hard drive. So the physical cost of creating these hard drives and shipping them out to movie theaters is about $67 million. So on top of all the marketing, the making the movie, it takes just $67 million in addition just to get that movie to all these theaters worldwide. And then another factor into what it costs to make a movie is all the residuals. So what I talked about earlier is that First of all, you have unions for cast and crew, which they have set up with the Hollywood studios. And then you also have here where an actor will kind of get residuals for their part in the movie. So sometimes you'll see like actors who 
they end up making a lot of more money just based off of like a movie's longevity over the years. So like Tom Hanks in Forrest Gump initially asked for less up front and more on the back end. So over time, he's made a lot of money off Forrest Gump just based on his residuals that he gets every time the movie's played on TV. So an actor could have a really good payday if uh, a movie is not only profitable at the box office, but they also have these residuals. And also the movie studios like it because if a movie doesn't do well at the box office, they don't have to pay up as much. And then finally factoring the last amount of what it takes to make a movie is financing costs, which is anything from like borrowing money from studios to make a movie. Also like when you have a movie overseas, you gotta account for like currency conversions, all that's kind of associated into financing costs. And then you just have overhead. So pretty much studios charge their own productions and overhead fee, which covers like the time of the, the staff spends on the project, the cost of the deals for, to make the movie, all that kind of stuff is just their movies overhead. All right, so now that's all of the costs that go into making a movie. Let's look at how actually they turn that around and make a profit off that. So the biggest income driver for any movie is gonna be that initial theatrical release. That's where they make really all their money. So. Say a movie makes about $129 million at the box office domestically. They go on to make another $243 million internationally. You combine that and you get that gross box office number, which is about $373 million. So that's kind of the amount you get here. So that's the amount that they always kind of report out there. Like, oh, this movie made $373 million at the box office this weekend. It's a big hit. But before they see any of that money, two big costs have to be deducted from it, which is the sales tax and what the movie theaters take away. So the actual movie studio will get about 53% of the box office gross domestically and 41% of the international gross. So you have that $373 million, which looks like a big, impressive number. But what they actually end up taking from that is about $169 million. And then you got to go in and remove what it took to market that movie, which for this example, it was about $98 million. So then you're left with about $70 million, a total of about 42% of the overall income. That big number that we saw initially went down 42%, and now we're looking at $70 million. So that is all that plays into the box office numbers. And then you move on to home entertainment, which is everything you can do to watch the movie at home, essentially. So... This same kind of movie will make an average of $134 million just on home entertainment. So first of all, that kind of sounds like it more than it made at the box office, but there's other costs in here. They do have to spend some money on advertising here, which is about another $20 million. And then obviously if they're making DVDs, if they're making Blu-rays, that's going to cost about another $30 million to make those and get those shipped out to stores. And this is why movie studios are kind of hurting that people don't really buy Blu-rays or DVDs as much. They still make a pretty good amount of money because last year, the number one selling Blu-ray was the Avengers Endgame, which made about $69 million. And the number one selling DVD was Aquaman, which made $17 million. So there's still some money to be made here. And they make some pretty good money back basically because the movie's already done. It's already made. And they just kind of had to push it out there with production costs. But they're able to get a pretty good return on this. But with the fall of kind of Blu-rays and DVDs over time, they'll see less and less money. The same way the music industry is seeing less and less on CD sales. But if you're wondering why you go to the store and you still see brand new DVDs, yes, people still do buy them. The next way a movie will make money is on TV. So the average income for the same kind of movie would be about $86 million. And this pretty much has little to no direct cost to the movie studios because they typically, they charge a distribution fee to whoever is going to put out the movie. And then it's out there, it's either on cable or like TV over the air. 
And this is kind of why you think sometimes that movies don't do so well at the box office. They get on like maybe a, like a TBS and you're like, why this movie isn't that great, but it ends up kind of making a profit bag because, so this is where maybe a movie that didn't do so well on the box office kind of gets a second life because maybe you wouldn't pay money to go see it in theaters, but if you already have cable and you're scrolling through and you're watching maybe TBS and you see like a movie with Will Ferrell that's maybe not his best movie, but it's there and you watch it and it's a way these movie studios still make money on maybe a flop or a movie that didn't perform as well as they thought. They can put it on TV and still get some money back from it. And then you have video on demand, which is essentially like Amazon, iTunes, or any way you pay for a movie at home, be it pay-per-view. And this is kind of where movies are starting to go more because... If you don't go see a movie in theaters, you can just click a button and have it in your home. I think maybe eventually there'll be a way to have brand new movies in your house. But if you want to do that now, it's actually really expensive. There's this thing that essentially only rich people can have where you pay to have this box in your house to where you can have movies streamed into your house before they're even released. And it costs like $250, but it actually costs like $250 just to rent a movie for 24 hours. And you have to pay a lot of money just to get this box in your house. I think it's like twenty dollars or $30,000 just to put it in your house. But until that's available to all of us at a cheaper price, uh, we kind of had to sit around and wait until a movie comes to us. And I think they should have a quicker turnaround time because it's kind of like if you go see a concert, like say you go see a new band, you leave there and you go stream their music when you get home. There's really not that for movies. If you go see a movie, you have to wait another six months or so. It's probably a lot less now, but essentially to watch that movie at home, how cool would it be just to be able to go see a movie in theaters and then be like, oh, I kind of want to see that again. You take it home right after, or you wait a bit and you kind of don't have to go to the theater and you can watch it in your house. Also, when this is airlines, you can get on a flight, you hop on there, you hit a touch screen and you can watch a movie on your flight. And while it's free to us, the airline actually has to pay to have those movies in there and they can make another $2.7 million by licensing out their movies to airlines. And that's pretty easy money for them because all they had to do is make a deal, put the movie on the airplane and there, instant money. And then the final way a movie makes money is through merchandising. So say a big Hollywood production, something like Star Wars would make an average of another $11.5 million just in merchandise. But then again, Star Wars is a bit different because they're kind of the OGs of movies making money off merchandising. And that's kind of why them and Disney pair so well together right now because Disney is like so hyper-focused on the merchandising because essentially their movies are commercials for their merch. So they put a movie out that's about 90 minutes of an animated movie. It's a great feel-good story, and it's a great Disney classic, but they see it as a commercial for their their merch. I mean, they make so much money off toys off of it, T-shirts, I mean, anything that Disney can put their characters on is what they're making money off of. And this is really big for them when it comes to, like, the Avengers or anything like Pixar. And then even... I mean, maybe not right now in the world of today, but Disney World and Disneyland, those attractions are based on the movies. So as long as they're turning out new movies, putting out new stories, new characters, they get more people into the parks and they're selling merch. They're selling tickets to their their parks. So merchandising is huge for Disney. For some of the other movies, it's not as big. Um, looking at just the average of what another movies will make off of this is about $1 million, which is still pretty good. But if you don't have anything attached to like a toy line or 
um, like any kind of collectibles from a movie, you get less merch. People aren't really going to buy a T-shirt for a movie. But when it comes to animated movies, man, they can really crush it here. And the weird thing about when they put out the first Star Wars movie as, is that the toys weren't ready by the time the movie came out, which is kind of what's happening now with Baby Yoda, um, with The Mandalorian coming out last year. But Baby Yoda still hasn't shipped. So Star Wars is kind of creates a buzz over their merchandising. And they make a lot of money. And like back in the day... Those toys just flew off the shelves, making them a lot of money. And they kind of saw a correlation between the toys coming out with the movies and how much money they would make off the toys. Because when there was a years that they didn't put out any new Star Wars, they were still making toys and they weren't really making any money. So they were like, George Lucas, please make another movie because we need to sell these toys. They need to have kids go to the theaters and see like, oh, I remember that character. I love that character. I want to go home later go to a store and have my parents buy me that character so these movies are really just vehicles to kind of push towards this merchandise and a movie studio like disney really can really just clean up here so that is essentially how a movie makes money all the costs that go into it if your business needs a new application then developers will have to write code a lot of code if an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash code assistant. IBM. Let's create. Paid by up-level rewards. Paid participation required. Actor portrayal. Attention all listeners. Are you ready to earn $750? Well, get ready because I'm about to introduce you to Get750.com, the ultimate way to earn. Here's the scoop. Instead of just streaming shows or playing games on your phone for nothing, you have the chance to earn additional cash. That's right. From trying out new subscriptions to playing your favorite mobile games, you can get extra cash in your pocket. Simply sign up at Get750.com and follow the instructions to start earning immediately. So, what are you waiting for? Turn your favorite apps into real cash with Get750.com. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to earn rewards for things you're already doing on your phone. Check out Get750.com today. That's right. Get started right now at Get750.com. Just go to Get750.com or Google Get My 750 cash follow the simple instructions and get your 750 dollars that's get 750.com get 750.com hey this is jody sweeten from the podcast how rude tanneritos as a nostalgic voice from your past i'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024 you deserve to get away it's time for a vacation no matter when you're hearing this and let me tell you how you'll get there the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, so I'm going to talk about now how a Netflix movie makes money. So you probably wonder when they put out these movies with like Will Smith and Mark Wahlberg, like what is it a benefit to them? So last year, 
The Irishman, which was a Martin Scorsese movie that ended up being nominated for Best Picture. That cost Netflix like the most they've ever spent on a movie at $159 million to make that. And they claim that 26 million people watch that in their homes. But you wonder, what's the profit there? Because nobody really hopped to Netflix just to watch that movie. If you already have a subscription, what difference is it if you click play on it or not so really what netflix cares about is how many subscribers they have that's how they make money you pay a monthly fee and you're able to watch anything on their service and that's essentially how they make money that's what they care about the benefit to movie studios and filmmakers to netflix is that there's really no worry there's a lot less like anticipation when it comes to they don't have to meet box office numbers they don't have to meet like critics they don't care what people say once the movie comes out there's a lot less of that because once a movie gets put on netflix it's out there the deal is done how a netflix movie works is they essentially make the deal they have this algorithm that determines how much they should spend on cre creating original content and then they base that around how much they will pay for a movie to get put on their service because netflix distributes the movie and then the movie studios they don't have to worry about distribution they don't have to worry about even like advertising, all that stuff I talked about oh, earlier, none of those returns matter for a Netflix movie. Once they paid for the movie, it's there. That's it. They got their paycheck. They're good. So that's essentially how Netflix movies get made. They make the film. They get a check. That's it. That's simple. And what Netflix does to kind of make money off of this is they rely on the word of mouth in a way that kind of theaters can't afford to because a movie gets put out on a certain weekend and then somebody watches it, they tell a friend to watch it, and they get more people talking about the movie. And then maybe that, in turn, brings more subscribers to their service who come to watch that movie. And then they see all the other stuff they have on there. So essentially, they're not coming just to see that movie like you would a movie theater. But once you get somebody there, you hope that they stick around and end up paying for your service. So that's kind of how Netflix makes money off of their movies. So it sounds pretty good. You make a movie, you get that check, and you're good to go. I think what I kind of see less of is that Netflix doesn't really have any franchises. Like there's not like a part twos being made of a bunch of movies. They essentially put out one movie and then that's all you kind of hear about it. So I think it kind of takes away from franchises a bit. And also it takes a, like while it does take away the risk for directors and filmmakers, sometimes that risk is good. One of the highest grossing and most profitable movies ever was Paranormal Activity. So that movie only cost $15,000 to make. That's it. It's a pretty basic movie if you've seen it. It's basically like a lost footage movie where all this paranormal stuff, hence the name, <laughs> happens in the house. It was really cheap to make, but it ended up making $193 million. So that makes it a really profitable movie. Another movie like Magic Mike, which cost $7 million to make, ended up making $167 million. So again, they took a, they took a risk putting these movies out, paying this money, but... It was such a big hit. They had such a big return on that, which is something you couldn't really get through Netflix because you get kind of that upfront money. You get paid for it, but you don't really get anything in return. Again, it takes away the anticipation of worrying about how well it's going to do, but it also kind of takes away from this. You can't really have like an unexpected hit. And if it is a highly successful movie, probably the most one we would know was Birdcage with Sandra Bullock which was a movie Netflix put out that kind of got everybody talking in the entire country, which was different for them. They haven't really put out anything on part of that since. And in turn, they probably got a lot more subscribers because of that movie.
which allow them to make other movies and kind of just overall adds to the big machine that is Netflix. I think really where they kind of have a space in is like movies that probably wouldn't get made that they are able to put out on their service, especially when it comes to like things like documentaries, lower budget stuff that people discover on Netflix. And those are really movies and projects that people kind of talk about a lot. So I think that's kind of cool to see like a smaller director get a chance to put out his documentary on Netflix. Something like in 2017, there's a documentary called Icarus, which was paid for by Netflix and actually ended up in theaters and won the best documentary Oscar back in 2018. So stuff like that is cool too. But that just kind of explains Netflix's model where film producers kind of can sleep well at night knowing that they're not tied to these box office earnings and they already get their money. And then Netflix is cool because, hey, we put out this movie. We know we can cover the cost. We know how much we paid for it. We have it only on our service. So it gets more subscribers and people paying money for our service. So that's kind of how the whole Netflix model works. All right, gotta get into my review now of Big Time Adolescence starring Pete Davidson, Griffin Gluck, who you may know if you watched the Netflix series called American Vandal. He was in that. Also, John Cryer and Machine Gun Kelly, and it is written and directed by Jason Orley, who this is his first ever directorial debut, and it's essentially about this kid who his sister dates Pete Davidson in high school, and he's much younger than them, but he becomes friends with them, and then even after they break up, they stay friends. Pete Davidson isn't really the best influence on them. He parties, he does drugs, he drops out of college. But they just have this kind of bond because the kid doesn't have an older brother. So they hang out all the time. And then his parents kind of don't really approve of it. And they end up getting into some pretty big trouble. So I'll get into my review here. But first, here's a bit of big time adolescence. This weekend, Paul's house. It's so on. You just saw my pot at your party. You think I'm just going to walk into a party and everyone's going to want to buy pot for me? Call me crazy. Who's ready to party? This movie is directed by Jason Orley, who actually had the idea maybe back five years ago, and he knew that he wanted Pete Davidson to play his character whenever he saw him on the Comedy Central roast of Justin Bieber. And then he was like, that's it. Like, I want Pete Davidson to essentially be this character. So his character in the movie is named Zeke, and the younger kid is named Mo. So... Pete Davidson's character dated his sister in high school, and this kid didn't really have any kind of big brother influence, so we saw Pete Davidson and was like, hey, let's start hanging out even though you and my sister broke up. So Pete Davidson kind of takes him under his wing, but he's not really the best influence. He like parties, does drugs. Um, after graduating high school, he goes on to college, but he drops out, and he's like working at some random like appliance store. <laughs> um, but it's kind of cool to see the contrast of like, a coming-of-age story that's told in a different way. What I like about it is, although Pete Davidson's kind of playing himself, I like seeing him in a movie and seeing that character more. Because really, I, I mean, I'm a fan of his comedy. I like him on SNL, but I really don't get to see him fully kind of interact with other people because on SNL, it's essentially a skit. And even in a stand-up, it's not really the same as seeing him in a movie. So I enjoyed seeing kind of his personality come out through this character. But it does kind of feel like, oh, it's Pete Davidson playing himself. But I think it works. So again, I won't spoil the movie if you want to go watch it. Um, if you have a Hulu account, it's essentially you pay for the subscription and it's free to watch. I, I always say it's free, but you're already paying for it. So what essentially happens is the kid takes a bunch of advice from Pete Davidson's character on, you know, getting girls, how to make friends at school. But it's not necessarily the best advice because his life in turn hasn't really turned out how he wanted to. 
I don't think in the movie Pete Davidson really comes off as being a bad guy. I just think maybe he doesn't have it all together and he's just kind of trying to do the best with what he has. And I just saw so many parallels in this and like other people I know growing up. So I kind of related to it in that sense. So the kid takes his advice. It doesn't really turn out very well when it comes to the girls. And then he ends up trying to make friends with kids his own age because he's essentially in the movie just hanging out with Pete Davidson and his friends who are much older, which was something like I was kind of like in high school. I didn't really have any high school friends that I would go hang out with on the weekend, but like my older brother was seven years older than me. I would go hang out with him and I'd be the youngest one in the crowd. So I kind of felt the kids in this movie just based on that. And he tries to make friends in high school, but Pete Davidson's advice is like, hey, you should probably go sell drugs at their parties. And you can kind of tell that that didn't turn out so well. I thought the movie was good overall. I thought it was pretty funny. I laughed out loud a lot. Um, it's a little more on the raunchy side. It is rated R. There's no like nudity or anything, but it's a bunch of language and drug use. So I'd say it's on the same scale of maybe like a super bad 40-year-old virgin when it comes to the R rating. So if that kind of takes you away from watching a movie like this, maybe not for you. But if you need something that's kind of a raunchier comedy in a way, not I wouldn't say it's super raunchy, but it's a little more on that side of those kind of movies. But I think it's pretty funny. I like the story. I found it pretty relatable. And I was it had my attention throughout the entire movie. It's about an hour and a half, so it's a pretty quick watch, too, if you're looking for something on Hulu, which I think right now we're kind of always trying to stay indoors and not go out a whole lot to the movie theaters. So it's a good at-home watch if you want something funny. I give it about 3.5 out of 5 homemade tattoos. All right, going to get into some movie news now. So last week I talked about James Bond delaying its release date from April 10th to November 25th. And since then, it just kind of caused a chain reaction of other movies just delaying either when the movie will come out or not even saying when they're going to put it out now or movies now are kind of starting to delay production due to the coronavirus but James Bond was essentially the first one to do this. And the one that kind of was the biggest to me was The Quiet Place, which was supposed to come out on March 20th. And now the new date is unknown. But I saw John Krasinski post that he essentially doesn't think it's the right time to put it out because it's a movie that he wants everybody to see together. And with what, everything going on in the world, he doesn't think it's a great environment to put the movie out right now. And as we saw over the weekend with box office numbers being a record low in 20 years, I think they're making the right move here. It's kind of hard for me as a moviegoer to see all these movies I was so excited to see and stuff that was just on my highly anticipated list for the year just be delayed and kind of wondering how that's kind of got to affect everything because movie schedules essentially have their slots and they put them out in certain times of the year based on a lot of, there's a lot of reasoning that goes into that and delaying when it comes out. I just wonder what it's going to look like later in the year. When you have these other big movies now going up against other movies, it's really going to change numbers. And it's just overall affecting like how people make money off of these movies and even like the production schedules of stuff coming out like one or two years later. Like how is that going to affect stuff down the line? So I'll run through now the list of just all the movies that I know so far who have, that have got delayed or just kind of postponed for a bit. You got My Spy, which is the movie with Batista, went from March 13th to April 17th. A Quiet Place 2, like I talked about, which is supposed to come out on March 20th. Now the new date is unknown as of now. Disney has delayed Mulan from March 27th to an unknown date. Peter Rabbit 2 moved from April 3rd to August 7th. Love Birds moved from April 3rd to now being unknown. The other new Marvel movie coming out. The New Mutants moved from April 3rd to now a date unknown. 
Um, and then a movie called Antlers moved from April 17th to a new unknown date. And another really big one, which was kind of the craziest of as far as how long they delayed it, was the new Fast and the Furious 9 movie moved from May 22nd of this year to April 2nd of 2021. That's a long time to delay that movie. And I think the reasoning behind that is it's such a global movie. And that movie not only makes a lot in the United States, but just has a really big international market. So I think just with everything going on in the entire world, they're like, yeah, this is a movie we just really have to wait out. We can't let this kind of affect our box office numbers because it's, I mean, as we see it happening right now, it's crazy how little movies are making right now because uh, movie theaters are either closing down in where cities it's really bad in and AMC and Regal have reduced how many tickets they sell by 50%. So they will only fill, like say a theater that fits 500 people they're only selling 250 tickets to that showing. That is, I mean, that's half of people you can even get into theaters. And that's even less of people actually going in to fill those seats. So even myself, like I was going to go to the movies this weekend and I'm like, maybe I should go. And I know I come on here and I talk about how it's going to take a lot for me to, you know, kind of not want to go to the movies, but just even just the way technology is changing. But I felt like maybe it wasn't the best idea this weekend even looking at the box office numbers now, the number one movie was Onward, which I saw last week, and it only made $10 million the entire weekend, which that is, like the one I think, maybe the highest Pixar drop in a very long time for a movie. And it's all because of this going on right now. And then you have movies delaying production. So The Batman, which is <laughs> I am just super excited about with Robert Pattinson, that's just pulled off on production right now. Also, Jurassic World Dominion, they've pulled off production on. Flint Strong has pulled off production. And the one I'm kind of waiting on seeing what happens to is Black Widow, which is Scarlett Johansson's solo movie. It's still scheduled to come out on May 1st, but with all these other movies getting pushed back and delayed, I don't know if that's going to happen. And as of the recording of this podcast right now, it has not been delayed or pushed back anything so far that I've seen. So I'm waiting to see what happens with that. I'd be pretty bummed if that one gets moved because essentially May is like the kickoff to summer blockbuster season. And it's a big Marvel movie that always comes out usually in May or like late April. And that kind of kicks it off for like a bunch of great movies. So like I said, it's going to be weird to have all these movies postponed and delayed. But that's it for movie news for the week. Before I hop out of here, I got to give my shout out of the week. And I usually do Instagram. But this week I'm doing Twitter because I got a really nice tweet from at Club Sore, which is the Sore Losers fan club, which is another podcast we have on the Nashville Podcast Network if you haven't checked out. It's Lunchbox, Raymundo, and Eddie from the Bobby Bones Show. They do a sports show, which they're having a kind of difficult time right now. Maybe a little, not as difficult as I am removing movies, but there's no sports right now. <laughs> so it's hard for them to do their podcast. But those are three funny guys, and they're going to get on there and kind of do a show anyway with Life After Sports with their Twitter. It's kind of been blowing up with just like people doing stuff at home right now. So that's another good podcast to check out if you're – I mean, if you're also hurting from the loss of sports and you want to see how those guys take it on right now, go check out the Sore Losers. But this tweet says, coaches, if you like me and need entertainment in this world of no sports, check out Mike Distro's podcast, Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. It's great. Even if you're not a big movie person, check it out. So I appreciate that. Shout out at Club Sore. If you want to follow me on Twitter at Mike Distro, but the way you get an Instagram or Twitter shout out is all you have to do is tag me that you're listening to the podcast uh, on Twitter. You can just send me a tweet and tag me at Mike Distro, say you're listening. Or on Instagram, just take a screenshot or a picture of wherever you're listening and tag me in it, put it in your story, 
and I'll pick one of those to repost throughout the week and then give you a shout out next week. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I'll try to do more movie reviews on stuff streaming because I think that's kind of where I'm going to be the next couple months or so. So I'm going to be looking out for not only new movies coming out streaming, but maybe stuff that you may have missed on there. There's a lot of kind of hidden gems in Netflix and like Hulu and Amazon, a bunch of good stuff out there. So I'll kind of put together some reviews on that, maybe even make some top lists of different categories and stuff. You can check it on there if you're stuck at home and need something good to watch. So look out for that coming up in the next episode. But I will talk to you guys next week here on another Monday of Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. Until then, later. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top ten for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And. Hmm. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer. State Farm and DJ Dramos from Life as a Gringo know that getting your money right brings freedom, empowerment, and future success. The mindset work that it takes to retrain your brain to believe that you are someone who can obtain anything you want financially and hit all of those financial goals and that the only thing holding you back is is yourself. I love how she talks about like just demanding how much you believe you're worth, how much you want to make, and how you have to make that declaration. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.